So turn with me, if you will, in, the, in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the beginning of the Bible, five books in. This is the last of our, uh, of our series on the Old Testament. Now, it's obviously not all the books in the Old Testament. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. This is the final one, uh, final book of what they call the, the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is the books of the law, how to live. This is the way to live. This is the, what they would call the Torah. The, these are the things you need to know in order to live life, to experience life. If you'll notice on the stage, we have life and we have death. And in this, this story from the very beginning of time, God lays out for us, gives us the opportunity to experience life. He also gives us free will, free choice. And there are times where people choose death. And so that is kind of this, this, this theme of this book. He said, I've set before you today life and death, blessing and prosperity. Choose life. I mean, wouldn't we agree that life sounds better than death? I mean, we'd all agree to that, right? I mean, it just does. It just sounds better. Well, the, the book of Deuteronomy is what they consider the second law. It's a, it's a retelling of the law. It's in a sense, it's kind of like Moses' journal. He's writing all this stuff down because Modus, Moses knows his time is near the end. He's not going into the promised land. He is, uh, he's going to die, and he spends 40 days writing and 40 days of teaching the, this next generation that's going into the promised land how to live. He's preparing them. It's a, it's a rehearsal for the promised land. Life that you're living, that you're breathing right now is rehearsal for something else. Can I get an amen about that? All right, it's a rehearsal. It is. We are here. We're, we're practicing. We're getting ready. We're only here for a moment. It's a short period of time that we're here, and it's a practice. And so Moses is getting the people ready. And then it says that, um, that Moses dies, and the people mourn for 30 days. 30 days. Now, our, my father-in-law passed away a couple weeks ago, and we mourn his loss. But man, we, didn't, we mourned 30 days, this loss of Moses. And so it was a 70-day seven day period of time that this book was written, and 40 days of teaching, 30 days of mourning, and then they get ready to go into the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is the most quoted book in the Bible, most quoted by all the authors of Scripture than any other book. Jesus quoted this book uh, multiple times, but he quoted it three times when he was taken into the desert, the beginning of his ministry. If you look at Luke chapter, you don't have to turn there, but just think about this. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the desert. He's being tempted and Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy three different times to defend himself against the devil. He uses scripture to defend himself. Don't test God. Man's not, can't live on, by bread alone. He needs the very word of God. And so he uses the, the word to defend himself, which I think, by the way, is probably something we ought to, to take note of. That if Jesus saw it was important to memorize it and to live it out and to use it as a, a tool to help him uh, defend himself, then that's something we ought to take note of as well, that we can hide his word in our heart, in our mind and in our heart, and it's the most effective weapon, I believe, against the lies of the enemy, right? Because there's so many, so many lies that we experience in the culture that we live in, in the world that we live in. And the, and the way to kill a lie is just to throw some truth at it. 
I mean, think about it. That's just the most important way and the most effective way. If something's not true, then you throw some truth at it, and it just covers it. It just makes it go away. This week, I had an uh, interesting experience, and someone text messaged me some pretty, pretty um, in-your-face kind of acu- accusatory or whatever the word you want to use stuff about me that's just not true. And it breaks my heart because this person is someone that I loved and I cared about and that they said this hurtful stuff about me. And I could have chosen right then to believe it and to live in that lie. But I said, you know what? I'm not going to believe that lie. That's not true. That's, you don't know the whole story, which, by the way, the truth is the whole story. And I said, you don't know the whole story. And therefore, I'm not going to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to continue this conversation, for one, via text messaging. All right? If you want to have this conversation, let's stand face to face and let's talk. But until then, I'm out. I'm done. We're not having the conversation. He kept blowing up my phone. I just ignored it because I'm not going there because he needs to hear the truth, and he's going to hear it from my lips, not via text messaging. By the way, text messaging, great for flirting, all right, great for communicating, but it's not for fighting, by the way, all right? Just don't go there. So the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Turn to chapter 6. We're going we're gonna to read this. It's going to set up the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the message. That's my hope anyway. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. So remember, rehearsing, they're getting ready. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. It's a new generation. Moses is leaving behind his word to teach them how to live. And he says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach to you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So he says, these are the things God has directed me. I'm teaching them to you. Listen, I wish every single week I got like an email from God. Wouldn't that be sweet? Just like a download email from God. Brady, this is what I want you to teach today or this Sunday. Just speak it just like this. That would be amazing if that would happen. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't work like that ever, really. But what I hope is that I do receive from him through his word and so that I can give it away. And I don't walk in perfection, so it might not be a perfect word. But that's the reason why I like to read his word, because it is perfect, and it doesn't return void, and it goes out and produces good things. So, but I, so Moses gets this word from God. He's supposed to teach it to these people as they get ready to, to cross over the Jordan. He's teaching them so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Here's the purpose, so that you'll enjoy life. You experience life. And he says this, hear, which means exactly that. Listen, okay? Listen, O Israel, people of God, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And then he shares what is called the the Shema of Israel, the great confession of the people of Israel. And this is something to be worthy to memorize, all right? And he shares it. He says, hear, once again, hear, O Israel, listen what I have to say. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, all right? So, Let's, let's repeat this. The Lord our God, and I'm going to point to you and you repeat it. The Lord our God, okay, the Lord is one. Try it again. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, that's the beginning of it. So the Lord is one. There's one God. 
One God, one word, one love. So there's one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do it again. And with all your soul. And with all your strength. That's it. So that's it. That's, that is the confession of faith. There is one God, and we are to love him with everything that we have. Get that down, and all the rest flows out of that. And, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus is asked what the two greatest commandments are. He quotes the Shema of Israel, once again, quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Love God with everything that you have. And then he says, love others, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Out of that love, and this is the common message you'll hear me speak, and I'll speak it over and over again until God takes me home to be with him. It all flows out of loving God and loving others. It's the cross, the vertical love of God, the horizontal love of each other. Learn to love God with everything that you have. These commandments that I give you today, he says, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. This is a great message for parents today. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Talk about these things. Look for opportunities, parents, to engage your children, no matter what age they are, in conversations that have to do with the Lord and with the this, things that he wants us to obey, the things that he wants us to, to experience, the way he wants us to live. Like, how are we to react when someone blows up your phone and accuses you of things that are not true? How, how are we supposed to deal with those things? Well, we talk about them all the time. We, every, day's, every day's scenarios, everyday life gives us opportunity to bring teaching um, into it and what God would have us to do, right? Does that make sense? And he says, impress them upon your children. Talk about them all the time. Every situation that you run into during the day gives you an opportunity to point your children to the Lord. And, um, and I know there are kids who have grown up in homes where that, that was so obnoxious and overwhelming to you that you didn't want anything to do with it when you got older. I understand that. And then others have grown up in homes where that was never even discussed or talked about. And you come to church and you're like, I'm so like behind. I feel like I don't even, I, I got to catch up because I don't know some of these stories and these references, because my parents never talked about it. I think I grew up in, a, in the middle. My parents took me to church, and I knew, I know my mom loved me, and I know my mom prayed for me, but the only time the Bible was ever brought up was, it was in such a way to discipline me. You know, Bible says don't drink, Brady, don't go out and drink on Saturday night. Just don't do that, because the Bible says not to. Okay, I, I get it. Where does it say that? Why, why shouldn't I? Well, ultimately, the number one reason why I shouldn't is because that was not God's best for me, especially at that particular age. <laughs> and because God loves me, has a better purpose and a plan for me than that. But my parents never explained that to me. They just, I think, hoped that I would understand it. They hoped that the church would teach me. Listen, parents, do not put that kind of burden on me. Your children are your responsibility. I'll do my part. In children's ministry, we'll do our part. We'll teach and love and nurture your children. But the rest of the week, six days out of the seven, it's your job. Okay? And I don't mean that in like an accusatory, like, man, I want to make that heavy for you. I want to 
empower you and encourage you to say God has given you this responsibility. It's an incredible opportunity and responsibility as a parent. Your most important ministry lays it down and goes to sleep at your house in the evening. It just is true. And so he lays out this, this thing to talk about it all the time. And I'm glad my parents exposed me to church and took me because and, and then I had a foundation. When my life fell apart, when I was experiencing death, the only thing I knew to do was to turn and walk towards life. And thank goodness it was there to receive me and to forgive me and to welcome me back. So I, I kind of grew up there in the middle. When the Lord brings you into the land, this is verse 10 now, when the Lord brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember, we, we, in this study, we found the people enslaved in Egypt. Moses helped set them free. God led them out of Egypt into the, into the desert, leading them to the promised land. And so he's reminding them again. There's a constant reminder. All throughout this book, a constant reminder to look back, see where we've been, and to help you move forward. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. That's a comforting little feeling right there. That's warm and fuzzy, isn't it? But that's what it says. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. And that was when the people were complaining and arguing because they were thirsty and they, they were rebelling against the Lord. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the, and good in the Lord's sight that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on an oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all of your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God has commanded you, tell him the story, the story of your faith. We were slaves in Egypt, slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there, brought us into, um, says he brought, he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is, is in the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law, or all these laws before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, this will be our righteousness. So, so here's what I want to share with you this morning. Four things that we can learn from this. We can learn about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. How many different times, just e even in that passage of Scripture, he's going to give you the land that he promised your forefathers. God started a work in you. He's faithful to complete that work in you. God started to work in me as a young man in church, even though I wasn't really taking it that seriously when I was 17 years old. 
wasn't like that was the center of my life. But God started a work in me that day, that time. And he continued to, to fulfill it and to bring it about. He never stopped working in me. That's good news, ladies and gentlemen, for a lot of us in the room today. Like God started a work in you at a young age. And he's continually working. And he'll continue to use circumstances and situations and opportunities to remind you of his faithfulness in the past to help you move forward to recognize his faithfulness today. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 and 9, so turn over a, for me it turn over a page, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now, the Lord did not send his or set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to his forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, therefore, or know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. And he is faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. It's a beautiful picture. Why did God redeem them out of the land of Egypt? Why did he choose them? Because they were so special. There was just something unique about them. The number one reason why is because he loved them. He loved them. You know what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2? You can, write the, you can write this down and go to it later. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When was the last time you ever thought of yourself as a special possession. A royal priesthood. Remember last week when I said, who told the people they were grasshoppers? You could easily believe, believe the lie that you are not valuable at all. That you have failed so many times that you have somehow failed beyond God's recognition. And he stopped loving you. But that is not true. Because this word in 1 Peter was to, was to a group of people who might not believe that they were worth anything. But he says, you are a chosen people. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a royal priesthood. You're royalty. I mean, you don't have a crown on your head. <laughs> but God has set one on your head. You are a princess or a prince but why don't we live that way why don't we live out of the identity that we have in christ i think one of the reasons why is because we keep believing the lie of the enemy and he's good he's so good as soon as you start feeling like you know what man i do matter my life my life has a purpose and a meaning. Well, then something happens in your life, maybe in your family or at work or, or school or wherever it is that tries to, tries to get you to forget about God's faithfulness instead of seeing all that he's done for you. But you're a royal priesthood. I love that. Chosen people. The next thing is warnings. 
34 different times in the book of Deuteronomy something to do with be careful, (laughs) carefully observe, proceed with caution, (laughs) don't get so far ahead that you forget about where you've been or what God's doing in the midst of that. Even in, even in Deuteronomy 6, in verse 3, it says, Hear, Israel, be careful to obey. Why? So that it may go well with you. Choose life. Avoid death. <laughs> verse 12, be careful that you, may not for, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I think there are a lot of followers of Jesus Christ who have forgotten about the sweet mercy and grace of the cross <laughs> and what it felt like to be be forgiven and set free how long was it before the people who got out of slavery in egypt forgot what slavery felt like and they were tempted to go back to that a lot of times be careful in verse in chapter 11 it says that be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them there are lots of other gods in the culture that we live in today that long for us to bow down to them, to worship them with our time and with our money, with our affections. Here's the reality. Simple obedience brings about a profound blessing in our life. Simple obedience. But on the other end of that coin is sin has its own consequence, and the consequence is death. I thought about this a lot as I was getting ready to speak this message. Here's the great paradox I think that we live in in this, in this world because of just being flesh and human and we don't see as clearly as we'll see someday. The enemy of our soul doesn't allow us to see death as death. Instead, we are tricked into believing it's actually life. Think about it. Scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. I was, you've heard this story before, but some of you have never heard it before. I was in a bar, was drinking. And listen, I'm not saying that I'm not a teetotaler. I'm not saying that if you have a drink, you're going to go to hell or anything like that. I don't believe that. But I was in a bar, and I was drinking, and I saw, instead of seeing death, I saw life. I saw this other woman. She was beautiful. She was flirting with me. And I saw I saw a distorted view of life, and I thought this was going to be good. And I walked down that road, and I left that bar that night with the wrong woman. And my ex-wife walked out before me. And what I thought was life turned out to be death because my marriage ended shortly after that. That's just one example in my life where I have been tricked into thinking that it was life when on the other side of it was a trap. And then I experienced death as a result of it because the wages of sin is death. There's no way around it. On the other end of that, I think there are times when we We feel drawn to grow closer to the Lord, to press into things of God. And then we start hearing this lies like, oh, dude, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's a trap. 
You start thinking you're going to experience life, on the other end of it is, is legalism and rules you can't follow and shame and guilt that you can't deal with. Don't do it. Don't go there. And we stop believing in this lie that we can't do it. And you know what? In our flesh, we can't. We can't do it. But the longer I have pressed into life, the more I did experience death, death of my ego and my pride, my shame. Those are all things we want to die in our life, don't we? But Jesus says, if you want to experience life, lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. In reality, we have to experience death to really gain life. And then over here, we, sometimes we think, well, we're walking to death and we think we're going to get life, and it's just not so. It's the great lie. Why is it do you think so many times all throughout this book, he says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. We think, well, it's just too hard, right? He said, no, these commands aren't too hard for you. It's not like they're up in heaven where you have to, like, go there to get them. It's not like they're across some sea that you have to swim across there. They're right before you. They're in your heart and they're in your mind. They're right here. So why do we keep failing when it comes to this whole issue of holiness, <laughs> trying to walk it out? One of the keys, I think, is to experience life with some other people. Some other people around you where you can share your story and confess your struggles with them and find out that you're not alone. Because the longer I walk down this road, the lonelier I became. But the longer I've walked down this road, the more friends that I have acquired. And my family keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's amazing how that works. So, so one of the other things that in this passage, in this book, he, God wants us to be holy. He calls us to holiness. In Deuteronomy 18, there's a few verses I'm going to highlight. It says, when you enter the land, this is verse 9, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Don't be like the culture around you. He says in verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. In verse 14, it says, the nations you will dispossess, listen. Here's what the nations that, were, that you're getting ready to go into. They listen to those who practice sorcery or divin divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Don't listen to the lie. Don't believe it. Expose yourself to some truth. Here's the, the next part of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Instead, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. 
doesn't mean draw attention to yourself. Like, hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm living. I'm a Christian. I got my T-shirt. I got a fish on my car, you know, and I'm living for Jesus. You know, it doesn't mean drawing attention, but live such a good life among people. They're like, what is different about you? Why are you so different? It's like you don't even belong here. <laughs> like, we, you don't even fit in. And it doesn't mean that you're weird because there's some weird Christians in the world. I get it. You're one of them. Some of you are. You know that to be true. <laughs> but once again, it goes back to in every conversation, in every moment, how is God working in the midst of this? Where can I bring him up? Where can I show him? Where can I introduce him into the story? How can I do that? So the fourth thing is blessings. The book of Deuteronomy is called a book of remembrance. The people remembered all the ways that God has blessed them in the past. You know the best way to move forward in your life is to take some time to look back and see what God has done. Even if you have to go all the way back 2,000 and some years, back to the cross. If you have to go back there, go back there. When we take the Lord's Supper this morning, eating the bread and drinking the juice, to remember what Jesus has done. Because he said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat it and drink it, and do it until I return again. So we remember what he's done. As we finish up, I want to show you something. Where's Jesus in this book? Do you know Jesus is in the book of Deuteronomy? You know, Jesus quoted it, but Jesus was actually in it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18. In verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. It's a reference to prophets that are going to come after Moses. And there are many. But it's also a foreshadowing of this prophet who John the Baptist said was, was greater than I am, one that I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals on his, or tie the strings on his sandals. But it was pointing to the coming of Jesus. And it says we must listen to him. And I want to finish with um, what I think is a perfect segue into the next four weeks of our time together as we look at the Gospels, the good news of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews, it's in the New Testament towards the end, speaking about Jesus. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact represent, representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he, Jesus, had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In the past, God spoke. He said, 
Do not listen to what these people in this new land are listening to. Don't listen to those lies. Instead, listen to my prophets. And he said, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Because we live in the last days, ladies and gentlemen. Because every day after Jesus descended into heaven has been the last day. (laughs) So we live in those last days, and we are to listen to what Jesus has to say. And he speaks to us through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' story, the Gospels, the good news. And in those Gospels, we, we come face-to-face with the cross. The cross is how he, how he provided purification for sins. That was God's redemption plan all along. <laughs> Even for the people grumbling in the desert, God was like, hold on. Finish what I start. Got a plan. It's coming. And I want you to listen Listen to truth that brings us life. Do not believe the lies that produce death. This morning, every morning, every time that we gather together, God sets before us life and death, blessings and curses. And he gives us the opportunity to choose life. I mean, every day he gives us that opportunity, but we're, we're faced with it at this particular moment in time. And so what I want you to do is I want you to, it's right where you're at, just, just use this opportunity for some, some time to reflect, some time to look back, it's the time to look inward and listen. Listen. What is Jesus saying to you today? And if it sounds like condemnation, then that's not of him. That's not Jesus speaking to you. If it sounds like love, if it sounds like royalty, <laughs> chosen people, if it sounds like freedom, then that's Jesus. And so I encourage you to listen and respond however God's leading you today.